Recently, I read an account from a woman who described her life growing up in what we would call an impoverished country. And one of the things she recalled from her childhood was that she didn't always have shoes. In fact, she grew up for a good part of her life not having shoes. And then one day a Christian missionary showed up with various supplies for the town and she found a pair of shoes to wear. And wow, what a difference that made in her life. No longer did she have to feel the the cold water of puddles or the heat of the pavement or the, the sharp, uncomfortable sticks and stones that she would step on. Shoes, wow, what a difference it made in her life. The following year, the missionary came back and, and had more supplies for her town, and in there, there was another pair of shoes, and this one fit. They were the right size. Wow, what a difference that made, to have shoes that were the right size. She thought it was great just having shoes. She didn't know they weren't supposed to pinch. They weren't supposed to crush your toes and feel uncomfortable. She just thought it was nice that she could walk around and not feel the cold water, the hot pavement, the sharp sticks and stones. But then, when the shoes fit just right, what a difference. What kind of shoes are you wearing, spiritually speaking? Are they comfortable? Maybe they're helping you get through life. Maybe whatever it is that you do in your spiritual life kind of helps you, but maybe it's still a bit uncomfortable. Maybe you're lacking some joy in your life. How can you tell the difference? One day some people pointed out to Jesus that both he and his disciples were not fasting like everybody else was. See, back in Jesus' day, there were certain days that were required that you fast, that you not eat for a while. It was expected of everyone and by everyone. And they wondered why Jesus and his disciples weren't doing that. Jesus used this as an opportunity to show them a difference in their spiritual life. What can make a difference between being uncomfortable and thinking you're doing the right things and being comfortable. He used the illustration of a wedding banquet because he was at a banquet, and he noted the difference between fasting and feasting, and that difference was himself. During this epiphany time of the year, as we're looking at who Jesus is and recognizing he is everything I need, today we look at his words in which he tells us he is our bridegroom. And with that, he's simply telling us it's a time for us to celebrate. Listen to this account from Mark chapter 2. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, 
how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. What is Jesus talking about? Celebrating. Don't we love to celebrate? If you look at a calendar, don't you notice how every month of the year there is something for us to celebrate? Some holiday, some special event, some day that recognizes somebody who's been important to our country. Every month it's got something for us to celebrate. It may even give us days off of work and school. Now, I will admit that in the month of August, there is no holiday. But because of that, we speak then of having barbecues and beach parties and luau's and things like that. It just seems we are drawn to celebrate. We have to have a whole list of things to celebrate, it seems, because oftentimes those things we celebrate will lose their meaning and their joy after a while, and so we have to find something new, something to replace it. Jesus was talking about celebrating, and he gave us a reason why we can continue to celebrate. He was the reason, because he is our bridegroom. Just like a wedding is an occasion for people to celebrate the love of two people, so Jesus is reminding us by calling himself the bridegroom, there's a reason for us to celebrate his love and the loving relationship we have with him. Throughout the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, the scriptures use the picture of engagement or marriage to picture our relationship with God. Always highlighting God's faithfulness and marking our lack of faithfulness. In fact, one day John the Baptist said he was like the best man for a wedding. His job was to prepare the people for the coming of the bridegroom. And so, as we take a few minutes this morning to talk about Jesus as our bridegroom, let's recognize that he's coming, and that that's a time of preparation. It's a time for us to get the right focus. Now, in a sense, that's what fasting was to be about. It was a time for preparation. There were three reasons why the Jews would fast. The first one is, it was a sign of sorrow. Way back in the beginning of the Old Testament, God had actually commanded his people to fast. But on just one day out of the year, it was called the Day of Atonement, on the day when they were to recognize their sins. And so fasting was simply a sign of of their sorrow for their sins. I'll talk more about that day in a minute. But several hundred years after that, 
the Jewish leaders added four more days in the calendar, during which time the people were to fast. This happened after they came out of their 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And those four additional days were to be a show of suffering, to remind themselves of the suffering that they went through as the people of God. Now maybe that's why the disciples of John the Baptist were fasting at this time, because they saw the suffering their leader, John, was going through. He had just been imprisoned for his faith. But now to those five days, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law in Jesus' day, added two more days every week. They said there were at least two days every week in which the people were to fast, and this was to be a sacrifice on their part, that is, a giving up of something so that they could supply what was needed, that is, that they could show God that there was some good that they could do and establish that loving relationship with him as their father. Now when you look at all three of those reasons for fasting, they all have one thing in common, and that is the self. Whether it was to express how bad they were, or how bad in life they had it, or how good they could be if they really tried, it was all about the self. Now yes, Jesus, or God, did actually command that on one day out of the year they were to fast. That was on the Day of Atonement. But the purpose for that was for fixing. Yes, it was focusing on the self, too, on the sinful self. The people were to use that time of fasting to express the fact that they were sinful, that they had broken that loving relationship with God. It was a time for them to express sorrow over their sin. However, that is not what would fix the relationship. On that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, when they were to fast and express sorrow over their sin, God was focusing them on how to fix the relationship. But it wasn't something that they would do. On that day, a lamb would be offered as sacrifice for the sins of all the people. And the high priest would take the blood from that sacrifice and go into a special holy place in their temple or tabernacle in which he could only go one time during the year. And he would sprinkle the blood from that sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize that there was a covering, there was atonement that would be made for their sins. But it wasn't a sacrifice they would make it was a sacrifice that would be made for them. In other words, God would take care of fixing their sinful self. What it was doing was getting them to see their Savior. To see that there was a sacrifice that would bring them forgiveness and life and love with God. That it would be what Jesus would do for them. That's what Jesus was referring to when in this account, he said, there will be a day when my disciples will fast. When they will express sorrow over the sins. It was the day he would die. 
But it's not like that sorrow was there because he died. It was sorrow that would be expressed because they were the cause of his death. Just like you and I are the cause of his death. With our selfish acts, with our judgmental attitudes, with our sinful indulgence of ourself, with our ignoring of other people, our criticizing of other people, the list could go on and on. Those acts of obedience were the things that caused the death of Jesus over which we sorrow. But our sorrow doesn't fix the problem. Jesus does. And so the writer to the book of Hebrews, Jewish Christians, says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He tells us that to be prepared for the bridegroom, the one who establishes that loving relationship between us and God, look at Jesus and see what he's done with his life to replace your life, of, his life of obedience to replace your life of disobedience with his death to pay for the penalty of sin, and with his resurrection to show he has taken the, the penalty of sin away. And now being enthroned at the right hand of God is ruling over things and extends you that invitation to come to the banquet he has prepared. Being ready for the bridegroom, getting prepared, means fixing things. Fixing your eyes on Jesus who has fixed your relationship with him. That's the kind of fasting Jesus wants us to do. To give up the reliance on ourself and look totally to him for forgiveness, life, and salvation. This week is uh, Valentine's Day, right? So it's a time for us to reflect on our loving relationships to reflect on perhaps our spouse and the love that we have. But there are a lot of people who are looking for love yet in their life. They don't feel fulfilled in it. They're, they're looking to love. They're looking to be loved. They're looking for a love and a, and a life that will last. And they have a lot of questions about what is real love. Would you watch this brief video for a minute and you'll see what I mean.
So what kind of shoes are you wearing, spiritually speaking? Are they uncomfortable? Are you doing certain things, parenting, being married, worshiping, but it's really not bringing you comfort and joy? Is there something missing? Maybe it is love. So let me ask you this. Do you recognize your bridegroom? That is, do you recognize who really loves you? Who has a love for you beyond anybody else? Who loves you more than anybody or anything else, even to the point he loves you more than his own life? Do you recognize how Jesus has loved you and given up his life and taken it up again to give you his love and his life forever? And are you ready to meet him? Are you ready for him to be in your life? Do you recognize the self that needs to be fixed? And do you recognize how it gets fixed. That is, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior who laid down his life to pay for your sins, who lived the perfect life to give you righteousness with God, and who lives in heaven to rule over all things to bring you to himself? Then receive him in your life. That is, let him be your bridegroom. Be married to him. Enjoy the love and the grace that he gives you because he is with you. And that means now this is a time to celebrate. Our bridegroom is with us. It's a time to celebrate, to live with purpose. And so we don't need to talk about fasting. We can talk about feasting. By that I simply mean living in God's grace. You know, if we had an acorn seed here and wondered what we could do or should do with it, we could simply take a hammer or a rock and smash it up and sweep it away and be done with it and not concerned anymore. Just consider it trash or yard waste. Or we could plant it and let it grow and blossom as a beautiful tree. God doesn't want to crush us. God doesn't want us to feel restrained by his anger, but to know his grace, that he has planted us in his love, that we can bloom and blossom, showing forth his glory to live a new life. Now, that does not mean we have a disregard for his law thinking, oh, well, we don't need to worry about that. We can live any way we want then because His grace will take care of all of that. No. Now's the time for us to show how God's law brings us blessings. And with obedience to that law, we are simply showing we have a new life in God's grace. That's what Jesus was trying to illustrate when He said you don't take new material and use it as a patch on old pants. 
because it's just going to make the tear worse. Salvation is not about repairing a broken life. Salvation is about being given new life and being given a garment of righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, to wear. Jesus also said, no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, when that wine starts to ferment, you know, and the gases build up, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. What he's telling us now is this is a life, our life is a time for us to fill up on his grace, to recognize the grace upon grace upon grace that he gives us every day, the fullness of the blessings that he gives us. It's a time for us not to live gluttonous lives, but a time to recognize we can serve God joyously. It's a time for us to simply praise him and proclaim him, to celebrate. Let me share with you a few passages from Scripture in which we are urged to celebrate this new life. This one from 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can celebrate and have joy just in believing who Jesus is and what he has done for us, giving us eternal salvation. The psalm writer says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Wasn't that great what we saw the kindergartners do here? What joy. When I knew that they were going to sing, I thought, oh, I hope they're not singing right before me. That's a hard act to follow. <laughs> but you guys did a great job following them as you brought us to, to sing with joy and gladness to God. That's what this is about. Coming to church is not an obligation or a drudgery. It's an opportunity to express the joy that God has given us in salvation. Through the prophet Malachi, God said, You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? With that, he was trying to say, you can have joy in serving me. It isn't some obligation that I have to do this now. Oh, I'm getting so tired of doing that or doing this. God gives us a joyous opportunity to express our faith and love to him by serving. And Moses carries on. He says, faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Obedience to those commands are joyous thanks to a God who loves us. Paul extended it farther. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. With our offerings, we express the joy of our salvation not some obligation that must be filled because that plate is coming in front of me. And Paul also said this, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Yes, even in the troubles of life, we can rejoice because God's grace 
is working to bring us to that glory. You see, we have a lot of reasons to feast, don't we? We have a lot of things in which we can fill up our life with joy. Now, the old nature, that self inside of us, would like to say, oh, that's a lot. That stuff isn't so much fun. I can think of other ways to have fun and be joyous. But because of God's grace, all of those ways are now blessed for us to blossom with joy. Did you know that it's, it's a leap year? That means we have an extra day in the calendar. Kids, you have an extra day of school. <laughs> no charge to you. <laughs> Don't laugh. If you're salaried, you're giving your boss an extra day of work without extra pay. (laughs) But we have that leap year because it takes the earth 365 and one quarter days to go all around its rotation. So every fourth year, we have to add an extra day so things stay in sync because something is missing. There's nothing missing in our relationship with God. There's nothing missing in our life with God that we need to feel some obligation that we need to do and then try to have comfort in that. God has taken care of it all. We live in his unconditional and unending grace. And so that means it's time to celebrate, to live joyously. And should life throw you a punch or knock you down, make things difficult or sad, remember, you have a God who loves you through all things. And a bridegroom who says, look, I have made all things new. And so you can celebrate in every circumstance because you have a God who loves you forever. Jesus. Amen.